Welcome to Faith Beats, a podcast from First Presbyterian Church in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm your host, Reverend Mark Mattis. Faith Beats is a podcast about the questions of life, the rhythms of faith, community, and imagination, all through the narrative lens of storytelling arts and spiritual practices. Each episode uses a different medium to take a unique approach of exploring how faith intersects our lives. New releases will drop twice each month. Today marks our second episode this season, and it's a special one because we have with us today our new lead pastor here at First Pres, Reverend David Prentice Hires. Dave, first off, you started in June. I'm sure it's been a ruin. It's, we're nearing now the end of September. How are you feeling? You know, the unofficial motto of, I think, Ann Arbor life is, uh, life here is like drinking from a fire hose. And I think there's like four on me right now. <laughs> you know, we're doing great. Uh, the family's moved in. Uh, my mom and dad are coming up soon. And uh, the whole family's going to be up here. And we'll really start to feel settled and more part of the community. But we've had such a great welcome from the congregation, a great welcome from the town. And I love what I'm doing. Uh, I'm passionate about this church and its vision and the hard task of being church today. So yeah. I've got no complaints. We're going to get into some of that in a little bit. But first, I'd love for you to tell folks a little bit more about yourself and your family. So I grew up in western North Carolina and eastern Tennessee, so I'm a bit of a hillbilly, but I've been gone for quite a while now. And most recently, I was the minister of Troon Old Parish Church, only the sixth in almost 200 years. Uh, the first two ministers were there for 100 the years. Minister the in... sixth minister in 200 years. Wow. And the first two ministers account for the first 100 years of the life <laughs> of the church. So I came from a context with a long history of faith, a long history of, of faith's interaction with the larger culture around it. And so there was a large role there for um, what I would call civil religion, and, and I loved it. So for the last nine years, I was a minister there. I was chaplain to uh, Her Majesty's uh, Scottish Legion. I was chaplain at a number of schools. I was moderator of Air Presbytery and uh, Loving Life. Uh, I have a, a wife who's also a minister, and she most recently was an interim minister at the church across the street from us. And that's her story to tell, and she's fantastic at what she does. And I have two little boys, an eight-year-old Finley and a five-year-old Angus. We call Angus Gonzo Gus, and uh, he's very shy at first, but once he comes out of his shell, you can't stop him. And, and Angus uh, and Finley are, are good together, but they're so very different because Finley's our bookworm, and he loves reading, and he loves uh, sharing this big heart of joy that he has for life and for uh, asking really hard but, but precise questions. Ooh, and that's needed. Absolutely, man. We're, in, we're in a season of asking a lot of hard questions. We are. Folks who are listening may know this or they may not, but this is your second time here at First Press. It is. Nine years ago, uh, when Mary Elizabeth was hired to be one of the resident ministers, uh, I was hired to be the campus minister. And so uh, I took on what was most recently Evan's position. You, know, you can't fill his shoes, but... Uh, uh, and Evans was one of the resident ministers when I was a campus minister. And I, and I love my work here. And that's really where I, I fell into love with this congregation in this part of the country and its vision for ministry and mission. Uh, and, and I will always have uh, a special place in my heart and a special attentiveness to campus ministry. And so I think that's one of the real areas that we will continue to explore as a people. Uh, here is what does it mean to do campus ministry well mm. and organically and we're really grateful that Hannah uh, Lundberg is stepping into that role and I think she's doing some really 
good work and asking some good questions about what is the next evolution of campus ministry for us. Yeah, I think one of the things that's important to ministry is context, right? Uh, context matters. Uh, contextualizing where you are, we're called to a particular place and time, moment. And to do that, you have to ask lots of questions. I like to say you have to be sort of a cultural anthropologist. In in your second time coming back here, there's definitely been some cultural shifts and changes, but are there other things you've noticed uh, here in Ann Arbor in particular? Yeah, you know, I think there's a number of things. Um, I touch on some of it in our preaching and in, in a lot of the, the speaking that I do. But the culture has shifted significantly in the last nine years, and we are in a difficult cultural moment. The conversations are more fraught, and things feel more divided. But yet, out of that are coming some really productive conversations. And as we learn to disagree well, I think we'll see some growth out of that. But the painfulness of this particular cultural moment is really apparent. And I didn't notice it as much or experience it as much 5,000 miles away. So I think the larger culture in the West is is certainly shifting, and we feel it acutely here in North America. Um, Ann Arbor feels bigger. It feels busier, if that's possible. But I also notice more people on the streets and more vulnerability and more irritability. And I think coming out of this pandemic, we're all just exhausted. And the normal gloss and sheen over polite society is a bit more frayed. And we're seeing through to the rougher edges of what's underneath. And it's hard to engage. It's hard to parse it out. It's hard to be a cultural anthropologist in this moment. And I think what she said is really important. We have to understand our context. And I don't know after five years that I'll fully understand the context, but we've got a good team and I think we're asking some of the right questions and we're trying to, at least I think we are, listen in authentic ways. And out of that continues to evolve authentic expressions of ministry. But nothing's easy. So I, I think mm. the other thing that I would say is that church is just a lot harder than it used to be. But it's also a lot bigger than it used to be. I don't. Yeah. I, I mean, numerically uh, is not what I mean by that. What I mean is that, that we are experiencing the richer expression of God's presence among us through the Incarnation in, in ways that I wouldn't have imagined possible. I mean, I have such rich colleagues, including yourself, that that 20 years ago, I, I wouldn't have imagined myself having the privilege of working with and getting to know and, and seeing ministry thrive through your eyes as well. And what a gift that is. So yeah, ministry is harder, but it's also a whole lot richer. And for that, I, I give great thanks to God. First Prez, along with your arrival, we've had some work that we've done to sort of tap into who we are and who we hope to be. One of those things, self-study among the strategic plan and all the other things. Um, Is there anything that, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of things, but is there anything you want to name, anything that's 
you feel really tapped into your hopes and dreams for for being for for this particular place and and kind of excites you yes uh there's so much good work that's been done it's one of the things that attracted me to come back um is the church has been through uh a lot of self-reflection not only because of the pandemic but the larger context of where we are right now and i and i love that one of the hallmark points that's arisen out of this self-study is this idea of radical hospitality. And I think that means a lot of different things to a lot yeah. of different people. But, you know, this Sunday we're going to celebrate World Communion Sunday. And, and, it, and it's one of the central places around which we experience, reenact, and reimagine this phenomenal hospitality that we receive from Christ Jesus. And so for that to be one of the central points that we raise in our self-study is that we want to be those who embody the hospitality of God. And all that that means and all that it entails is hugely attractive to me. How are we not only welcoming home the children of God, like I like to say at the beginning of worship, but how are we going out and allowing ourselves to be welcomed into other spaces? How, how do we understand hospitality as something that, doesn't always pull people in, but sometimes goes out and encourages us to be vulnerable to our neighbors and to strangers and to encounter Christ at work in the world around us. St. Bono of Dublin often says, you know, stop asking God to bless what you're doing. Mm. Look for what God is already doing and Amen. get involved with that because yes. it's already blessed. So part of, for me, hospitality is opening ourselves up to the hospitality of God that calls us to go out beyond our comfort zones in some, some powerful ways. And I, I think we see examples of that as we reemerge from this long loneliness of the pandemic. We're reengaging in, in conversations with our community partners, and I'm so thankful for that, and I'm excited about that. You know, I, I visit the Delana Center, and I see members volunteering there, and, and I hear about our conversations with our siblings in Ypsilanti, with some of the congregations there. And What a wonderful expression of the hospitality of God at work, through our work, but also calling us out to be involved in the work that God's doing mm. out with our congregation. Yes. I think one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is some of the things you've already named, right? This, that you've encountered here in Ann Arbor, the, and, and in a lot of places, most places, probably the busyness, right? The, I always like to say the cacophony of happenings, right? Just all the things happening and all the things to do. It's hard to then notice, right? Where God is at work. And so I've been trying to think about, you know, how do we slow down? How do we create space that's so countercultural to sort of just notice and wonder? You know, I love that quote from Abraham Joshua Heschel. I could have asked for anything to ask for wonder. You know, I think it's not an elegant phrase, but I think one of the things that we're being called to is to do less well. To, to look at what we're doing and, and, and ask ourselves, are we working ourselves to death? Um, and that part of the Christian path, part of the call of discipleship, is having periods of time of not doing 
and being, you know, I mean, it's, it's the old stereotype of, you know, you're not a human doing, you're a human being. And so I think we are called to that. One of the interesting things coming out of our conversations with campus ministry, especially that Hannah brings to us, uh, is this idea that the students are hungry for ancient contemplative practices, that they don't necessarily want rock and roll churches sometimes. They don't necessarily want even traditional worship sometimes, but there's this deep hunger for these contemplative traditions that discipline us to slow down our minds and to slow down our bodies in ways that we can be present to the one who is always present to us. Uh, I'll joke that I'm a caffeinated contemplative, that I I love contemplative (laughs) practices, but there's a sense of urgency sometimes to our world that prevents us from taking that time to be contemplative. And, and you know, the work of Dave Vandermeer and, and bringing back the Taizé service and, and, and putting in other contemplative kinds of practices for us individually and communally, I think is really important. I, I think learning to slow down is so critical to our individual well-being over the long haul and our collective well-being over the long haul. So one of the questions is how, as a people of God, that we call First Presbyterian Church Ann Arbor, are we learning to slow down together and to be present to one another, much less be present to God? Yes. Amen. Amen. I think we'll definitely take some intent, uh, some intentional sort of uh, reimagining. And uh, I think it also takes some creativity. And I, I think it also means for us a permission to do new things and try new things without an expectation that we're making a permanent change, but to create spaces around which we can experiment and have different expressions of worship while we're still attentive to and maintaining and pursuing excellence in our core worship expressions. Um, So what is it for us to try new expressions of worship and new expressions of discipleship and to give ourselves permission that if it doesn't work, it's not a failure. We've just discovered something that doesn't work, and there are many more things that may work that are yet to be discovered. So I I think giving ourselves that permission to uncouple ourselves from the idolatry of success and to sit in the tension of what's next and what can we try. You know, I'd love to have you on and bring in another few voices as well in some point. One of the things I've been thinking about is this idea of deconstruction and deconstruction, deconstructing one's faith. I remember listening to Robert Chow Romero. He's a professor at UCLA, works with young people, uh, has a book called The Brown Church. One of the things he says, though, is that there hasn't been a lot of work around reconstruction. And in some ways, I see some parallels both to deconstructing some of our practices in the church, but also reconstructing. And sometimes that involves going back, right? Talking about Hannah's ancient sort of uh, contemplative practices. Um, but to me, there's a lot of there's a lot of energy there, and I'm really excited. So we'll have to we'll have to enter into that conversation at some point again if you if you join us. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I love that conversation. I think. I think you're right. I think picking apart what we do and why we do it on a spiritual level, on a institutional level, 
on a liturgical level is, is a really helpful practice to be involved with. October is tomorrow, first day of October, and uh, I always like to call it spooky season. We're going to have a our youth ministry is kind of focusing on fear a little bit, but hmm. in the spirit of sort of the spooky season, is there a favorite scary story of yours that comes to mind? I'm thinking either film, uh, maybe book. I mean, anytime I look at the newspaper these days, but... <laughs> um, you know, I, I I keep going back uh, as a family. We keep going back to the story of Harry Potter mm. and just and and just that the whole narrative arc. And and despite the kind of the cultural moment we're in around some of those stories, there's still a deep, I think, theological root in those stories. That yeah, it's it's a scary story, especially for the boys. But yeah. we're easing them into the process of of unpacking the story for them, which is is a delight because it's fantastic storytelling. But the, the deeper kind of movements of friendship and relationship and finding one's place in a world that often feels full of alienation. And then as you begin to make that big bend in the, in the last books where you see a, a, a pretty explicit expression of kind of self-emptying love, um, that also honors the personhood. Uh, uh, it's a pretty sophisticated theology in, in the final book. So, yeah, Harry Potter is something I turn to a lot this this time of year. What continues to be appealing to me to, uh, about Harry Potter is is both my children's enjoyment of the story, but also its engagement with uh, who we are becoming, and we're always evolving. and And how do we then learn to be helpers and friends, and realize that as an undercurrent is is this refrain that you know you hear throughout the book of the power of love and uh, it seems like such an idealistic kind of thing to say but it, it's part of our testimony we believe that god's other name is love and uh, so to have a book that's crafted around the the transformative power of love that my eight-year-old absolutely loves is a fantastic thing so harry potter Yes, yes, yes. I'm with you with all the little, you know, caveats and yeah. the things yeah. that come with it. But I'm just in, in the spirit of, of the spooky season, I just reminded of that quote from, from Dumbledore where fear of the name, I think, increases fear of it thing itself. Yeah. yeah. And uh, absolutely. I was I was listening to one of my professors preach at, at Montreat not too long ago. And, and I'm not going to get the quote right, but. We're living in a season where fear and anger threaten to usurp wonder and excitement. Ooh. And and she tells the story of Moses in front of the burning bush. And, and as the burning bush and God's voice addresses Moses, he he enters into this kind of this transformation of of being open again to wonder. Uh, and excitement and no longer bound by fear and wow. anger it is a powerful powerful story and i think you're exactly right i think that's one of the uh, that's one of the movements in that that last 
that last novel is is uh, you know Harry finally embraces love more fully and, and and lets go of a lot of things and then the fear fades away and yes. and, 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 and fears power then over the we're really doing a deep dive here man we're, I mean, this, is, <laughs> this is deep deep stuff the gospel of uh, Harry Potter uh, you know the crowd is broken free from the spell of fear and yeah. anger and uh, and I think that's one of the, the transformative aspects of love is that it has the power to break us free from fear and anger yes yes what a word for us this morning and uh, what a word for us to end on that's our time for today i hope you've enjoyed our time with pastor dave and i especially hope that you'll get a chance to meet him and his family uh, if you haven't already met them we want to thank you for joining us dave and we especially want to thank all of you for listening be sure to join us for our next episode dropping in a few weeks please visit firstpresbyterian.org for more information about faith beats and other things happening here at first be sure to tell others about faith beats This episode of Faith Beats is brought to you by First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, where we aim to make God's love visible with open minds, open hearts, and open arms.